I went home and kind of wrote out all the ins and outs of my ideal contract and sent that back to them. And apparently they saw it and were like, oh shit. <laughs> Mainly because my father was disgusted with it and that made me so happy. Welcome to The Imposterous. The Imposterous is hosted by me, Graham Drew, and Michael Knox, two rather insecure frauds who will be exploring the motivating and debilitating experiences we all have with imposter syndrome, with a sneaky suspicion that it might just be your superpower, if you let it. I, I, I really do think it's important. You know, everybody should be doing something. You need a personal kind of purpose, don't you? You need to be something that really floats your boat. You know the rules of the game, you can win. Here I am. Oh, there you are. Hello. Here I am. I'm, I'm, I'm suitably dark in the corner. It's That's normally the position I like to take, which uh, Andrew tells me it looks a little bit like I'm on witness protection. I know. I need to kind of move somewhere where I don't look like I'm on. So, <laughs> you know. Um, today we're joined on The Imposterous by Toby Talbot. And Toby, what I've made for you is a name tag. No one else can see that, but it says, hi, I'm Toby, and I'll just put it on your lapel there um, because accidentally and embarrassingly I called you Tony, so I'm just going to remind myself not to do that again throughout this. You're the um, incoming Chief Creative Officer, ANZ, of Ogilvy, um, which is a, a big gig, and I'm sure you're very much looking forward um, to, to kicking that off. You're currently in Barcelona where we're having this conversation where you're the Chief Creative Officer of 14. Um, you've been the CCO of Saatchi and Saatchi New Zealand and DDB Sydney. The imposterous, as you know, what we're trying to do is turn any feelings of self-doubt into a fuel, a fuel for creativity and kind of try to work out whether we can, whether we can make imposter syndrome like some kind of motivation. So I wanted to start at the beginning and just um, ask you if you had any early recollections or feelings like you're in the wrong place, like you shouldn't be in a creative department thanks michael um first i want to address the tony thing to, to be perfectly honest yeah, please. it's it's no no look it's it's not really a big deal um i mean one one of the um one of the saddest things about leaving ddb for the third time is that marty o'halloran has stuck by this joke since i've known him since 2007 is that he insists on calling me tony uh and and when he does it he always laughs and and it does it's it, I mean, he, he takes dad jokes, that guy, to, to the very next level, is all I can say, because he's been telling that joke since 2007. So, Marty, if you ever get, if you're ever going to listen to this, please. Well, I, I, I understand, thing. Marty. I understand, Marty, because B and N on the keyboard mm. are next to each other. So they yeah. are right back next door. And that happens. No, that's true. And yours was just an email, whereas actually saying it somehow for me is is slightly more offensive but anyway it is what it is i have very early recollections of of being a complete nutter fraud in advertising and to be perfectly honest with you there's an irony to your show there's a there's a rich irony to your show because i do believe advertising is the haven uh for the imposter syndrome um um reveler which is obviously why you're doing this in the first place but it's it's that sense i think where you don't fit anywhere but you kind of fit in advertising and for me i always i always felt advertising was this wonderful notion advertising has always felt like something that you don't you don't go out of your way to get into it you kind of fall into it it's it's almost like a sort of manhole 
that people fall through. Um, uh, and, 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 you know, for me, and when you find yourself falling into that black hole, you either just accept the fact that you are falling into a black hole and you just get on with it like a kind of, you know, Pixar film. Or or you kind of try and get out of the black hole and you go, that was a terrible mistake. And then, of course, I'm going to become a famous author or something like that. But for me, I enjoyed the black hole. I liked the kind of infinite space that advertising gave me. And, and, and I think, you know, I, I am, like most creative people, full of self-doubt. So it's an ideal kind of, you know, I mean, it's where self-doubt sort of festers, really, advertising. And, and so that probably explains Horrible that- words. <laughs> Horrible word no, no, I think I think we can turn these around, and we'll have um, superhero the superhero called self doubt, um, and, yeah. and that might explain your your attraction or your potential liking to being described once as once as the serial ship jumper, and 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 I, I just that. wonder. <laughs> I want to ask you about that desire to move and to keep moving and to kind of be between, um, I guess, locations yeah. and 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 across a lot, and whether that connection to yeah. the feeling of not belonging in one place allows you to contribute yeah. from the outside? I think it has. Uh, I think uh, if, I, if I'm brutally honest, I think I love the sense of change. Uh, one of the great things about advertising is every advertising changes, agency changes, you know, I'm talking about network agencies, they generally change every five years. They just go through this enormous sort of renewal or they shit the bed. It kind of works two ways really. And for me, I think one of the one of the enormous attractions about advertising is that con- sense of continual change, not not just physical change. And I've moved countries and moved around a bit, but actual actual change in terms of what consumers are doing, what everyone's looking at, listening to, reading, participating in. I think advertising has the ability to keep up with it, and in some cases almost overtake it if advertising gets it right, which isn't very often, I have to say. I was on my way in to meet some friends today. I just took a photo of the Opera House and I posted on Instagram and then... He called me a tourist for doing it. And then all of a sudden they responded to us. I got a notification that I had something on there and... I got a comment from the Opera House and they're like, hey, do you want to... Come on in for this awesome experience and I was like, whoa, is... are they talking to me? He said our names, which was like kind of cool. Oh, hi, Michelle. Hi, Gary Fiona. G'day, Doctor's Kitchen. Hi, Katie. Hey, Scotty. Hey, Monica and Leah. Hi, Kat. Hey, Ben. I invite you to come on in. When did you come on in? Come on in. Come on in. Did you come on in? Come on in. Come on in. Come on in. Come on in and see what happens inside. And on that notion of change, I guess going into the new role that you are um, at the start of next year, yeah. um, you're going to be working across four different cities that, you know, uh, have experienced different levels of lockdown stress. Oh my god. Yeah. How, how do you make people feel comfortable with the idea of change? Well, I think we've all experienced it ourselves. I mean, you know, it's been forced on us. I think that's what's happened in the world. And for me, um, I don't think I would have, maybe a big call to say this, but I probably wouldn't have been so excited about the job that I'm about to take on had it not been for the pandemic. And I, I should caveat that by saying that we've all got used to being in different places and 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 yet, you know, kind of being... A, being able to actually just jump on a Zoom call, I'm, I'm having the, this conversation with you now in Melbourne and it's not nice in, in, in Barcelona. But I think for, for me to take on a regional role where I'm expected to be there all the time was never going to work. You know, So I kind of said, 
to the guys, I'll I'll do this, but I kind of I kind of need to do it in a way that where I can kind of exert influence without physically being there all the time. Um, I think that's one of the biggest mistakes almost of of the regional role. In fact, the regional role is a it's almost like kind of when the job came up, I was like going, "Wow, does, does that job exist anymore?" I thought regional roles were where it went out when you know when when clients asked agencies to remove the first ten percent of their of their overheads. You know, come come the uh, come the pandemic, and you know, there's a reality for for regional roles where ultimately if your regional role is all about winning awards or you know kind of being at shows and doing all the stuff that I don't know as far as I could see that's what a regional job was you know those days are long gone and for me the attraction of this job is kind of a virtual leadership and physically too yes but being part of being part of different places is really exciting to me. Many moments I guess of of impostering um, I was um (laughs) Recalling uh, a talk that you gave in Cannes some years ago, and you right. talked about the need for fear um, and having a fear of underachieving and the the notion of upholding standards um, in your career, yeah. and 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 a line that you had in there, which is a line that we're all familiar with, which is "I'm only as good as my last ad." And obviously, your talk was mm. some time ago. Do you think that's still relevant? Yeah, shit, yeah. I mean, I think, I think, I think ultimately the the currency of being creative is 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 about relevance. So you know, you know, you know, great. I know, you know, one can dine out on an award that we've won won many years ago. It doesn't really matter. If at the moment you get sort of handed that shiny bauble, it's it's already kind of outmoded and outdated. So for me, the danger of awards per se is that if you fixate on them, all you care about is is kind of short term planning and and winning those things. Um, you know, one of your previous people said they talked about the fact that there was a sort of a well, I think you did in fact it was a sort of almost anticlimactic can. It was a relief that you'd won something and then you kind of move on. And I kind of go, well, that's that's not really a kind of fulfilling a life lifelong ambition in that moment as you describe it. And and I think for me. The currency of what we do as creative people is so super important. It's it's not about living in the past. It's about being here and present. Yeah, we were talking to Josie Paul last week um, on yeah. here, and and his take on it was was that the the success can actually sometimes be the burden. It's um it's it's kind of like you've achieved. Yeah. You have to you have to as a creative kind of keep going. Hundred percent, absolutely. I think, and and also obviously the more success you become the more you feel like you have to kind of continually match that if not beat that and I think that's all a bit it's all a bit harsh really I think people I think ultimately the way the way it's worked for me is that I've I've kept standards where I wherever I've worked I've worked in a particular fashion that works for me and if it works for me maybe I can make it work for other people too I'm a huge believer in nurturing talent within creative departments having been a junior once I know how awful it is to be completely ignored uh, I never ignore young people young teams in the business because they're the ones I I think I believe will break all the rules because they don't really know what the rules are so you know there's a whole lot there's a whole bunch of stuff that I I guess for me the 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 you know taking forward that's the way I've always worked and roundabout answer no I I, I think you, you talk about the you know the 
the idea of this being harsh. And I don't know if there's a more harsh moment and you refer to it as, you know, staring at that blank piece of A3. Um, I worked with a creative yeah. used to call it the white bull. Um, there's kind of like a, yeah, never, yeah, yeah. never a stronger moment of fraudulence, if you like, than, than that. And I just wonder, yeah. um, when was the last time you felt like a fraud? <laughs> I remember feeling wholly inadequate once when I'd, I was new to the whole ECD game. And I was at DDB uh, in New Zealand, uh, just sort of newly the new guy. Um, and I remember Matt Eastwood was, you know, doing a great job in Sydney. And and Matt, you know, super confident with a very different way of working to me. But essentially, he he he'd done a great job, sort of whining and dining and schmoozing the shit out of Australian tourism to the point where it was just a sort of rubber stamping exercise when the all the board came over from um, Canberra. And and who's that really scary guy who's kind of like, you know, small and powerful who used to run Qantas, but he was at the time, you know, he's the guy who was the, the basically the, the the dude behind, you'll, know, you'll always call Australia home, right? So he's a cult hero. And he was the, he was the guest of the hour, if you like, the chairman of the, you know, whatever he was of the tourism board. But I remember having to present because Matt, uh, had a had a kidney stone. He had a very good excuse for not being there, and they they wheeled me in. I literally flew over from New Zealand, parachuted into this presentation, and the line that I had to sell sell to the client was, "There's nothing like Australia." And I found it the most to myself. I thought this is the most asinine, stupid, ridiculous line I've ever heard. I mean, it's a bit like saying. There's nothing like Siberia. There's nothing like Austria. There's no, I mean, you know, like I just kind of go, I, I hate lines like that. But then I had to give it my all. I had to sell the shit out of this line to these people. And this guy just eyeballed me all the way through and he knew that I didn't really believe in it. <laughs> and that's, that's the thing for me where I kind of go into that sort of serious, I look, I don't have the, I just don't have the, maybe I just don't have the stones to do the job because sometimes you need them. You need balls of steel to step up to these people. But if I don't believe in the idea, then I'm really fucked. I can never go into a room and present anything if I don't really believe in it. I'm sure you're the same. Yeah, I think, I think the more belief, the less rehearsal. You know, I think, I think you, could, you, you could sell a good idea to a stranger on a train. You know, if you, yeah. if you believe in it, if you don't believe in it, you've got to rehearse and kind of practice all the lines. You've got to know the answers. And I think, I think belief is, is, yeah. is the confidence. Yeah, totally. What's your brief going in to um, Ogilvy ANZ? Because I notice on LinkedIn that they're winning stuff and maybe Ogilvy Australia, New Zealand is becoming quite Ogilvy of the world, but what's your brief um, into this job? Um, okay. My brief going into Ogilvy is, uh, you know, I mean, it's an honour and it's exciting and it's kind of moderately scary um, in so much as that it's actually quite a big job. But there's this wonderful kind of momentum. And, I mean, you've obviously picked up on it yourself. Not only are they winning mm. these effectiveness awards, mm. they're actually winning award awards. So they're doing a lot of things right. Mm. So I'm not, I'm not going in to fix. I'm going in to kind of build and and I think that's really exciting because yeah. I've always been a more of a fixer than a builder in a sense where I've kind of gone into it and kind of gone that's what I've done in other agencies I've kind of fixed them. This agency doesn't need fixing. I think I think the thing about Ogilvy is that it's such a 
uh, I don't know, it's like the comfortable kind of Chesterfield, if you like. It's this wonderful sofa that everyone loves to sit in. And in a sense, what I'd love to be able to do, and, and Sally has this great ambition for it to be the kind of Australia's most creative company. It's, I mean, it's a wildly, <laughs> a wildly ambitious ambition, but I love, I mean, ambitions are ambitions. They should be ambitious. But I love the idea of turning it into more of a creative business. And I think with my experience, I think I'm going to try and do that really, but just kind of in a more lateral sense, in a, in a little bit more of a sideways way. They've already kind of, you know, got rid of their silos. This is the thing that I really love about them is that they're kind of doing, they're doing all the right things. But I kind of want to go a little bit sideways through the business rather than necessarily kind of the traditional way. And that's the way the business is geared now. So I'm excited. Yeah, I think I, I think it's a you know it's a great gig for you to be going into. Just you know, in my humble opinion, not anyone cares what I think, but I say that because I think there's a prove people wrong attitude that Ogilvy can obviously take on in 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 this market and in and in other markets to to kind of yeah, yeah. ammunition. If I'm to you know take the imposterous theory um, a little bit further than, uh, than than I probably should, but it does feel like it's a uh, you know, it has a history and some legacy that wants it to kind of spring up and be that. So my brief is, um, what I love about my brief is that it's not kind of, you know, <laughs> written in stone. It's a brief that's going to evolve and change because it needs to. But for now, I think my brief is to go into this extraordinary agency that's enjoying an awful lot of success, as you would have uh, seen and noticed, that and then just build on that, but doing it in a way where, I mean, they talk about borderless creativity and as part of the, my remit, it's actually being able to go sideways through these incredible parts of Ogilvy when you look at their PR, their healthcare, et cetera. It's, there's a lot of talent there that needs to be used in different ways. And I, part of my interview process was talked to the great Rob Riley, he of berries and cream fame. And he what I loved in his role as whatever he is now, God of WPP, he he was just saying how wonderful a network it was. And it made me feel kind of good to hear that. It made me feel good coming from him. And so for me, it's just going in there, kind of working differently. It's not about kind of doing what previous, I think they've had ECDs have done, but actually kind of approaching it in a different way. Because I think they're ready for different, Ogilvy. I think that's the bottom line for me. They, they don't, what I love is that no one kind of wants to kind of carry on steady as she goes. There's a sense of a desire for change. You can you can see that change in the work that's being made for the clients, you know, who in the past yes. wouldn't have made great work and making great work and the people that are really obviously, you know, up and about and looking forward um, to where they can actually sit. And I think the industry as a whole wants, you know, not that you really want your competitors to do very well, but I think there's a, there's a want well, for a, a big machine like I think, Ogilvy I think, to, to lead. Getting a Michelin star in the restaurant world is like getting an Oscar, bigger even. So you can see why it's news then that a Kentucky Fried Chicken in Australia is making a case for he one. He believes his store meets the exclusive criteria. The requirements for a Michelin star are excellent cooking and is worth a special journey. Where'd you guys come from? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How fast, Catherine? 1200k. So how am I getting into it? What's the first sort of thing? So I set up a Facebook page and sent out a couple of emails to some local media outlets. Technically, I meet all the criteria. Right. And uh, here we are. What do you think? Oh, you gotta be joking. 
You are gonna be joking. Now, Ron. Uh-oh. Should we get behind him? <laughs> Look, I absolutely agree. How would I go about getting Michelin's attention in Australia? <laughs> um, I don't know. Yeah, I think so. I think I think New Zealand and Australia, I think there's always been this lovely sort of latent, latent sort of love of the big network agencies. I think nobody necessarily wants the you know, to to fell the giants. And I think the thing for me about Ogilvy is that they're so dynamic as a business that they don't feel to me old school. They don't feel to me like they're part of that. They've really shed the John Singleton skin. They've kind of moved on from so many of their kind of, mm. you know, if you like, kind of shady past mm. to a business that's quite dynamic, you know. I mean, and I think, you know, now we're in this world of kind of competing against consultancies of, of, of going into pitch against the sort of the unknown enemy. I think what I love about Ogilvy is that there's a complete business there. There's far more of an, there's, there's far more of a sense of uh, depth within the building and therefore with the relationship with the clients. And I think that's, that's the thing I'm, I'm super excited about, to be honest. Good luck. And we wish you all the best um, from here on, on the imposterous. Talbot. Not Tony. Thanks very much. Never, Great talking to never. you. We'll, we're going to see the year out with the imposterous, um, Christmas Carol now. Thanks for joining us, Toby. Thanks, too. Bye. Thank you. Good times for a change. See, the luck I've had can make a good man turn bad. So please, 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 let me, let me, let me, let me get what I want this time Haven't had a dream in a long time See the life I've had can make a good man bad So for once in my life let me get what I want Lord knows it would be the first time Lord knows it would be the first time